adventurers, this is Newscast 14, your podcast for everything roleplay in the world of Eorzea. I'm your host, Emmy. And I'm your host, Remix Sakura. And by the time this episode will come out, it'll be very close to, if not the very beginning of the release of Patch 3.4. So in honor of that release, we decided that for our next little segment and look into the city-states of Eorzea, we're going to take a look back at Heaven's Word and all that has occurred within the Holy Sea of Ishgard. Absolutely. And everything that's happened with all the characters within it. Because really it started in, you could say it started in 2.0, but then it really got into heavy gear in 2.4. And through this time, we have gone through the entirety of the Ishgard storyline. And now that 3.4 is coming around, really we're going to transition into the next part. So it's a good time to look back. Yeah, I think for this episode, we're just going to be taking a look at a lot of the societal structures, but those structures have a lot of influence on characters throughout the storyline, and we might end up talking about that later. Um, And I know we will be getting into specific characters next episode, but for now we're going to start out with Ishgard and maybe how it's changed over the course of Heaven's Word. For sure. Because it has changed a lot. For sure. As usual, we wrote more <laughs> than we could fit into a cynical episode, but there's so much to say about the structure of the society and the government. There is. Maybe we could start with what happened before A Realm Reborn even came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Maybe how it was in 1.0. Yeah, so Ishgard, one of the big city-states of Eorzea, but unfortunately not part of the Eorzean Alliance for quite some time. So... It's been about 20 years since the fall of El Amigo and the forming of the original Eorzean Alliance, of which Ishgard was a part, but shortly after that, they decided to be like, hmm, actually guys, we got this dragon problem, so uh, peace out, we're gonna do our own thing for the next 20 years. Darn those dragons. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? So, they not only dropped out of the alliance, but basically stopped all diplomatic relations. With the other city-states. Oh, wow. Yeah. And basically adopted a policy of isolationism. And no foreigners have really entered the city since the time the gates have been locked. Even though in 1.0, you could actually explore the region of Curthus and go to different towns, hamlets, aetherites, even dungeons in that region, but just not the city itself. Yeah. Although Kurthas at that point was kind of like how the Dravanian hinterlands are right now. It used to be kind of like an alpine situation going on. So As far as the climate, yeah. Yeah, as far as the climate went. And then after the calamity came, it froze over. Yeah. So I, I'm sure that must have been a shock for the people of the Kurthas region. But, I mean, with regards to people coming in and coming out, I don't really know that they would really want to go into Curthus because it's so cold now just all the time. Yeah. We have to realize that this is actually a shock for the people living there. It's not like it was always a snowy region and that the culture and food and everything evolved around that as it would in like the real world in like a Scandinavia, for example. Yeah, it just, it turned into this eternal winter. And I don't think anybody had expected that. Yeah. You can talk to NPCs and find out about how much this actually kind of sucks for them. For example, the town of Falcon's Nest, 
was largely buried under snow. And there's there's a fellow in a side quest that's trying to restore it, maybe try to find some of the artifacts from before. Plenty of places in Carthus West are essentially frozen over. Well, what's he going to do? Dig it out? <laughs> With all that snow that's just falling? Ice falling archaeology. Yeah. That is tough. Good luck to him. Yeah. So it has been rough with the region, and not only that, the Dragonsong War has been going, as we know, for a thousand years, is it? It's been going for a while. Yeah, as far as anyone can possibly remember, Ishgard has been at war with Dravania and the Dragon Hordes, and this has actually been the major shaping of their society and culture. Everything is centered around the war effort. And nobody in any living memory can remember anything even remotely different. Well, so they left the Aorsian Alliance because of dragons, right? And yeah. they've been fighting dragons as long as they can remember. So did the Aorsian Alliance, like, not want to help them out with the dragons or something like that? Because I can only see benefits coming from having the other Aorsian Alliance member states being able to help out. If they close themselves out, what's going to happen? Like, are they going to progress anywhere? I actually think that part of that culture shaped by war is a great deal of xenophobia and fear of outsiders. Because remember that heretics can take the form of humans and it might be fine to, you know, let in some people that are trying to help from the other city states. But all they have to do is basically drink dragon's blood and suddenly you've got hordes of dragons inside the city. I guess. Yeah. So I think that, that part of that contributed to a huge culture of xenophobia and mistrust of outsiders. And let's not forget that even their religious beliefs, the Ishgardian Orthodox Church, which is the state, it is the government, it's a theocracy, centers around the worship of Helone the Fury, who is a goddess of war. So it's almost like their fight against the dragons is, is like a fight of epic proportions against good and evil. It's, it's a righteous cause to them. Although that's kind of questionable looking back, but... Yeah, well, we learn that it's a little bit more nuanced than that. There was actually a really good observation made made by one of our friends on Phoenix Down Radio on a recent lore segment that the war has been going on for so long and the sort of backstory of everything has been so well tailored by the church to suit its means that Sayer, their lore correspondent actually wonders if the Dragonsong War came first or the worship of Helone came first, because it's possible that they took up a warlike society because of their worship of Helone, or it could be that they were warlike first and basically took up Helone because she suited their existing society. That's something interesting to think about, that they think of it now as a righteous holy cause, but perhaps they only made it holy kind of retroactively to better suit their narrative. Yeah, and I'm sure that with the war going on as long as it did, they might have some morale problems, seeing as it goes on for so long. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, so many people have died over the generations, and we see how even ending the war can be tough for people to swallow. We see that in 3.1 and 3.2. It's a shock, because that's all they know. Yeah. All they know is just... Yeah. Dragons, we gotta fight the dragons. Dragons now, bad. Now dragons we are good. okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> except for that one dragon, Nidhogg. Yeah, except for Eggnog. Well, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. 
So other than perpetually being at war, what is the Society of Ishgard like? So when 3.0 The Expansion was first announced, I'll always remember a comment that the developers made when we first saw the very first screenshots of the city of Ishgard, which we were going to enter for the first time. And they were talking about the art direction and the use of high contrast, light and shadows in the architecture and how this was actually kind of a reflection of the light and dark sides of the city. And I think when our characters actually enter the city of Ishgard, we get to see that firsthand. Yeah, we're invited to stay in the home of a rich noble, and it's quite comfortable, but we figure out that there's a large population of people who are much less well-off. There's the broom and the foundation and the dirtier parts of the city where people of little means have to live. And one of the darkest details you learn about the broom is that it's poorly defended against dragon attacks. So when the city is attacked, not only does the area where the poor people live get the brunt of the damage, it doesn't really get repaired afterwards, which is why when you visit the broom, everything looks to be in such bad repair. Whereas up in the pillars, everything looks nice. Not only is it well defended against the dragons, you know, they've got the money to fix it up if anything does happen, you know, because you can't offend any delicate sensibilities, right? <laughs> right. You can tell the salt's in there, but... <laughs> in, in some ways, it's a lot like Gul'dah because you have just this, you, you do have this huge juxtaposition and this, there's no real in-between. You've got the nobility, you've got the poor, and that's about it. Yeah. You know, if you do anything wrong, then chances are you're going to be lower class. Yeah, or if someone who is your political enemy, even if you are a noble, decides to accuse you of heresy. Oh. Hmm. Church is not so understanding of that and uh, doesn't exactly have the best uh, justice system for dealing with it. Yeah, that's true. I noticed a whole lot of similarities to different branches of Christianity just in general. Like you've got the the opulent cathedrals that you might see with Catholicism, this huge system of hierarchy within the church that really is kind of consistent with a number of different different denominations. But then also this sort of sense of a crusade, a religious crusade, like we're going on in, I believe, the Middle Ages, um, you see with this Dragon Song War. It's just going on and what the church says is right. Therefore, the dragons are bad. The dragons are terrible. And then in addition to that, there's this aspect of heretic hunting, this whole witch hunt thing, which is very, very, very one-sided. And... You see that, for example, when in the main story quest, Alphano and Tataru get accused of, what was it? Was it heresy? Yeah, by one of the members of the Heaven's Ward, who are pretty much next to the Archbishop, so their word is pretty much infallible. And, and the way you can contest it is a trial by combat, which, needless to say, if you can't fight, you're kind of doomed. And... If you happen to uh, not be friends with the Warrior of Light, you're also doomed. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and so it's very easy to manipulate that system. And of course, if you don't want to do that, there is an alternative. You could always pay a visit to Scenic Witch Drop. I hear people are willing to jump <laughs> off the cliffs to get there. <laughs> but I'm... <t> yeah. <laughs> so not very just when you look at things. And another thing that sort of 
primitive when you look back at it, something that doesn't really make sense, is the whole idea of birth order within the society. If you, oh, yeah. if you are the oldest son in an Ishgardian family, and your family happens to be a noble family, too bad for you, you are now head of the house, whether or not you want to be it. And likewise, you can want to be head of the household as the second child, but unless your brother or dies- Or as a female. Yeah. Un- unless your your brother dies- and there's nobody else left to take it if you're a female in that case. You're stuck. You've got to figure out some other way to make a decent living for yourself, which in a lot of cases is becoming a knight. Mm. So it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But within the society itself, I'm sure the citizens can rationalize. This is okay. The church knows best, perhaps. Or this is the way it's always been. Yeah. So why change it? Yeah. And, and so when things do end up changing, needless to say, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's, there's a lot of people who are like, what's going on? I am not sure that I like this. Yeah, for sure. So much of Heaven's Word deals with the social upheaval that comes with essentially the revelation of the truth of the founding of Ishgard. So we don't want to tell you much that you already know <laughs> uh, or really try to resummarize the story, but essentially... The story that the Ishgardian church slash state has been telling its citizens for a very long time has been covered up. And that story was used to basically justification for the elitism. Basically, these were the knights that founded Ishgard. The noble families are descended from those knights. And the rest of you are just, you know, the plebs. Hmm. But when we find out that not only... It was founded not so much on nobility, but of treachery against dragons, which were actually peaceful allies at the time, but that all Ishgardians shared that same nobility and heritage. Thus, you know, this birthright of elitism really doesn't hold water. It causes a lot of unrest, you know, and changes for mostly at first for the worst, because people within the church, people within the nobility and people within the lower class have a hard time coming to terms with this and what it means for them now. The structures that have defined their lives for generations are kind of crumbling in front of them. And I'm sure that if you are one of these lower class people, you're thinking like, why were we here our entire lives? Like, what did we do to deserve this? And then on the other hand, if you are a nobility, you're going to be like, heck no, I don't want to give up my title. Yeah, yeah. So patch 3.1 and 3.2 deals with these different aspects of internal conflict. For example, if you're an average priest in the church, it's unlikely that you knew about these things and were actively trying to cover them up. It's more like the higher ups, maybe like the archbishops through the ages, were just lying to you and you thought you were just kind of being pious and following your own beliefs. Yet there's a backlash against pretty much everyone in the church by the citizens. There's backlash from the poor against the nobles. There's backlash against Eimerick himself, who's seen as kind of like the person who wanted to reveal the truth to everybody and, uh, and you know, somewhat naively goes to the archbishop, aka his dad, Psst, spoilers. Yeah, spoilers there. <laughs> and is like, I'm going to convince him to tell everybody the truth. No, that didn't work out of for you, dude. Of course not. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and then even when that thing, even when that truth ends up coming out, like, not everybody's thrilled. He's, he still goes ahead with, I'm going to go tell everybody the truth, and it's so abrupt yeah. 
that he ends up getting stabbed with like a steak knife or something. (laughs) Yeah, by some really, really bad assassin. (laughs) It seems Uh, like he either didn't plan it out or, I don't know, maybe they just happened to bump into each other at the wrong place. The wrong time and he's just like, well, I can take this opportunity to just kind of scare him into things or something like that. Yeah, whoever whoever planned that, I don't think their intention was actually to kill Imerick. I think it was to scare him. Yeah, and based on the way that it was shown in the cutscenes, at least when I was watching it, it didn't seem like he was going to die. This was nothing like, what was it, 2.5? Yeah, I mean, if you show it in the pre-patch trailer, it's unlikely that he's going to die. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people are still going to hold prayer circles for him, but... Oh, yeah, because we're fans. That just happens <laughs> with every single thing, just prayer circles everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, there's that in patch 3.1, the, the rebellion by the sort of more fundamentalist parts of the church who want to just cling to the old ways. And 3.2, there's rebellion against people that are essentially, you know, still bitter about the Dragon Song War and still consider dragons evil because, you know, their loved ones have died. I mean, there was that woman at the protest that's basically, I can't be okay with this i can't be okay with the end of the war because my husband died and you know her pain is no is not invalidated or erased because we decide dragons are our friends now and i feel like that's a legacy that ishgard is going to have to deal with for decades and decades and even generations sometimes these things are so deeply entrenched that the scars are so deep that it simply takes children being born in a world where dragons are no longer our enemy And even then, it's a bit tough to know how long the sort of sentiment and those ideals that were previously there are going to last. Yeah. Honestly, it reminds me of unfortunate legacies that we have in the U.S. Racism and slavery. You might think that these things, you know, hundreds of years later have been erased, but you're still hearing stories to this day of parents telling you know white parents telling white children don't talk to black people they're scary you know they're beneath you yeah these whole stereotypes that kind of persist about about people of different races when we still market ourselves to be a country of tolerance i mean it's still there unfortunately yeah i mean the war against the dragons has defined everything about their society for so long that people just don't know what to do with with themselves now like what is their identity what is their faith what should they even believe can they believe anything that the church is saying anymore so yeah we do get to see a lot of those different perspectives and people from different walks of life that have trouble in different ways dealing with this but i think at the end of the day it's really really fascinating and it just makes me just more excited to see what's going to happen to ishgard in the future I mean, it's awesome. Like, we did end the war through all, you know, of our heroic Warrior of Light efforts. We came to an understanding with the dragons. Ishgard took a little bit of the culpability. At least Imerk did kind of, like, being put into this position of de facto Leto for everything that happened and is trying to make peace and yet kind of gets thrust himself into this position that he probably never expected for himself. So are you talking about his position in the House of Lords or... Yeah, that's a new thing, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they finally got, it's parliamentary, but it's still a democratic system. Yeah, that's actually the biggest thing that has changed in Ishgard. Maybe on par with or greater than the end of the Dragon Song War. There's a democracy. Holy crap. 
It's not a theocracy, and it's not even an oligarchy anymore. That's a big change. It's everything that I would have wanted in Uda, but it happened to Ishgard <laughs> instead. Aww. Aww. I can also hear the salt in your voice there. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's hope. Actually, what that's reminding me of a whole lot is that moment during, really after the Grand Malay, where Emmerich is all like, yeah, we're giving, or I want to give more power to the people, and then Nanamo just, her face falls, and she's just, ah, yes, the people. Yeah. Oh. It's so sad, because all she can say at this point, because given what she's gone through in her attempts to give power to the people, those failed. And at this yeah. point, she's woken up. And Lola Rito has told her of all the uprising that might happen if she were to do what she had planned to do. And so, let me quote here what Nanamo says. She says, Change is indeed a perilous thing for we who seek it and they who fear it. I shall pray for Ishgard and for you. She's just AKA, saying good luck. Good luck, bro. Good You're gonna need luck. It. <laughs> yeah, she, she hopes it's the best, I think, but... Yeah, it's it's a tough change. It's a big change. And I think she knew that. I think Emmerich knew that. Did Had he been stabbed at that point? Yeah, this is at the end of 3.3 when it happens. Yeah, so he gets stabbed in like 3.1. I think he's still aware that there's going to be maybe even more social upheaval than what's already been experienced. But he's willing to take that risk. Yeah, they both and have essentially experienced almost like revolutions. But... In Ishgard, it actually ended up succeeding Yeah, in revolutionarily changing society. Which is really neat to see. Yeah. My opinion on it, if I may. <laughs> well, you are a host. Is, I'm still, I'm going with Nanamo here. I do wish them luck. And I think society is going to continue changing because it's a big jolt. And so I'm hoping that the change does stick. And it seems like the writers of the main story quest, they intend for it to stick. Yeah. But it's still going to have like a lot of turmoil involved. Yeah, I'm actually really glad that we ended the Dragon Song War and then it just wasn't like a hand wave and they lived happily ever after. I think it was really important for us to go through all this turmoil and trouble and to see it from different perspectives of Ishgardian society. I mean, it wasn't just about, okay, we have to kill Nidhogg, he possessed Astinian, we got to get Astinian back, and all that sort of fantasy stuff. Like, I really enjoy all of the real-world political stuff that comes in FF14. I agree. In Ishgard and in Ulda especially. Yeah, I, I enjoy the political changes. I'm still personally just not a huge fan of the dragons, but I'm glad to see all the change that this society has gone through. And so it makes me wonder, like, how are the characters within Ishgard going to change now that oh, this yeah. is happening? I mean, yeah, I mean, I was really surprised very, very pleasantly, you know, in watching the conclusion of 3.3 and being like, oh, yeah, democracy, <laughs> yeah, doing a dance. But then I was like, wow, when we go back there, next patch, everything's going to be different. First of all, like, Imerich's no longer Lord Commander of the Temple Knights. He's a politician. Yeah, he's like whatever the highest position in, in this House of Lords is. Yeah. I think he's still going to represent Ishgard and the Alliance, but it's weird. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, though, because basically the old Archbishop was killed, you know, after being revealed to being a crazy primal summoning madman. And then he basically 
took on the position of like, quote unquote, interim archbishop because there was no one to lead the state. And he he became the leader of Ishgard, whether he kind of liked it or not. The people started to think of him as a leader. He was also the person that basically revealed this truth to the rest of Ishgard. So he became a symbol of the new order for better or for worse, which is why he was personally targeted in that attack. Yeah. So it's it's funny how that, that kind of works sometimes. Maybe it was never his intention to rise to this position, but he knew that he was a leader of people in the Temple Knights and he just... His country needed him and he went into that role. It's kind of like you go where you're needed, not where you you want to be. Mm-hmm. And he became almost like the de facto leader. And that's why it was not surprising to us, but maybe surprising to him when they're like, yeah, we're going to elect you. Essentially like prime minister or whatever his title ends up being. And now he's there. Yeah. So they did mention that there is a two chamber parliament now called the the House of Lords, which is very, very much modeled, as far as I can tell, after the government of the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. The House of Lords in real life is a chamber of parliament of people that have been descended from the nobility. And you could say that it, that is an oligarchical aspect. But to counter that, there is in Ishgard and real life, the House of Commons, which is actually people that are elected from any walk of life, more like the common people an elected branch. So this is the first time that people of average or lower class families can actually wield political power. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that's, that's the democracy. And it's not a transition to straight more like American democracy. And you might say that that's disappointing that there is even a House of Lords, but let's make these changes like slow and gradual, right? Yeah, (laughs) you still have you still have the upper class who I think are going to be satisfied with the fact that, okay, not all of the power is going into the hands well, of the Well, hopefully. But, Some of them, yeah. But there's still a good amount of power that's wielded by the people at this point. Yeah, and it wouldn't make sense to do a total transition right away anyway, just from like an infrastructure point of view. I mean, these are the people that essentially have been in those roles of society for a long time, and they do have the experience, and they do have the means and the infrastructure to do so, so... This change, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think it does. And it's going to be really interesting to see how this new system of politics also has a huge seismic change on Ishgard in the future. So essentially, they've got to transition to life without perpetual war. That means like people are going to lose their jobs. Like, what do the Temple Knights do? What do the Dragoons do? What does like the manufactory who's been producing weapons do? I mean, there are adventurers. There are machinists. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, actually, one thing that I've been wondering about is, are we going to get a proper Ishgard Adventurers Guild? And are we going to get a Temple Knights Grand Company? I mean, there's a market. There's there are like a there's an actual market hub within Ishgard, which you only really see in the places where they have GCs. You don't see a marketplace or the ability to set up retainers to go to markets in, for example, Idleshire. Or Mordona or something like that. Yeah. So I think it's very possible that we could be seeing a Temple Knights GC, and especially because now Ishgard is part of the Alliance. Yeah. Once again, they have finally, you know, <laughs> decided that yeah. they are going to join the Aorcine Alliance, and it looks like they don't have any intention on leaving. Yeah. 
What did you think, actually, about the whole grand melee thing in 3.2? It was a morale builder. Yeah. I think it was also a chance for Ishgard to show off. Because I think they were just like, hey, warrior of light, you don't have a choice. You're fighting for us. (laughs) And then... (laughs) Honestly, I had kind of mixed feelings about it. First of all, I was like, you want to hold a play fight. Okay. How is that supposed to raise anybody's morale? You just want to drag the rest of the Orison Alliance out of the important shit they have to do to have a play fight? Well, really, Imeric? Really? Is this really? I, at first, I was, I was almost like, are you joking? I can what? see. What? Really? And then. <laughs> I can see it happen. Like, picture the Eorzean Alliance. I, I think that they don't want to have, like, serious business all the time. Oh, yeah. So I can see it trying to, trying to strengthen the bonds that they have with this play fight. At the same time, I'm a little bit frustrated because I'm sure were it not for the fact that Ishgard had the Warrior of Light, I'm pretty sure that Raubon would have been the winner. The Immortal Flames would have won. (laughs) And so, (laughs) well, I... I You're just salty that the Immortal Flames didn't win. (laughs) I am. I'm very salty that the Immortal Flames didn't win. And only because the last two people standing... Were the Warrior of Light, who in some cases, depending on who your Warrior of Light is, might have been in the Immortal Flames. Yeah, in, in which case he, Robin was totally into it. He was like, what did he say? Shall we dance? Something about, well, he said, <laughs> shall we dance like to that. both of it, but it's just like, lieutenant, I'm very glad lieutenant, that yeah. I saw you, l- Lieutenant, in this case. Um, mm-hmm. It was kind of funny, actually, while I was doing this with Nanamo. <laughs> just like, shall we dance? There's a little bit of something. <laughs> Nanamo Rob on play fight. It was a play fight. It just turned into like Nanamo booped him and he's just like, I am slain. Ah. <laughs> oh my God. And there's video of this. <laughs> there is actually a video of this. I have it on YouTube. I don't know if we're going to be linking it, but it's somewhat entertaining. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had mixed feelings about it because I thought that like practically and logically speaking, it was silly. But on the other hand... I was like, oh man, look, the Eorzean Alliance is in the his house. We're all buddies now. Go team. Personally, as the Eorzean Alliance role players, I think we were sort of glad to see it, even though it might not have 100% been necessary. Although we do see a little bit of change in Thancred during that fight. Yeah. If you do remember, we might talk about that later if we talk about the Scions. Yeah. We have so much to talk about, but there's definitely going to be a Scions episode in case anyone thinks that we forgot about them. Yeah, no, we have so <laughs> many episodes lined up. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so I was, I was just really glad to see them all together and, like, becoming buddies. And it's something I've definitely thought about in my role play. Yeah. How is the Arizona Alliance going to change almost, like, interpersonally now that, like, Imerick's on the team? Because for, for the longest time, it's just been the three of them. Four. <laughs> Yeah, and Nanamo. Yeah, Nanamo. Okay. Nanamo She's on the team. Respect. Yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, no, it is, it is. I think, going to change the dynamic between all of them now that there's another person in there. And so I think the Malay kind of, with respect to role-playing, might have helped with trying to get into the groove of things within the Alliance. For sure, for sure. For example, one of the things that I was RPing as far as Movab was that she's as happy as ever that, like, Eorzea is more united now, but she doesn't 100% trust Imeric at first because there's this long history of Ishgard kind of being assholes about things, like we were saying before, you know, and she's the kind of person where it's going to take a lot to earn her trust. 
and like through actions and not words. So that's something that, you know, that they didn't really touch on. It's in the end of 3.0, it's all like, yay, let's all hold up our weapons. Everyone's buddies now. And I'm like, I don't think it's that simple, you know? Well, for for ceremony's sake, it probably was. Yeah, but, but they didn't have time to go into it, which is, you know, where the RP and headcans come in. Yep. Oh, another thing that I'm really, really curious about as far as the future of Ishgard. So if Imeric is not Lord Commander of the Temple Knights. Who is? Does that go to Lucia? Is that her job now? Yeah, I guess Lucia, like, she was second in command. So I could see it falling to her, but I guess we'll we'll know for sure with this next patch. I mean, depending yeah. on what the patch content actually is, but Yeah. They've teased a little bit of things going on in Ishgard. Yeah, and and <laughs> it's going to transition, I think, from here on from Ishgard into what we're pretty sure is Alamigo. Yeah. If it's not Alamigo. I'm like, I'm like 95% sure at this point. <laughs> anyway, so we will get I think a little bit more into the characters of Ishgard. But for now, we will conclude our episode with what we do every week, where just because we like playing the game, we tell a story in character or out of character about an interesting experience that happened to us within the past, in this case, two weeks. So. And you've got one for us, right, Annie? I do, yeah. I guess I'll start this week or this episode. So recently we had the conclusion of the Do You Even Slash Pose screenshot contest. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about what we did for that, because it did take a whole lot of time to try and prepare our entry. So my static and I, we initially decided that we were going to try and pose over an Azizla. And so we spend maybe, I would say, 15-20 minutes in front of an FC house just practicing and trying to figure out how we were going to pose. So we did that, and then we went to Azizla, and then I decided, well wait, hang on a sec. Wouldn't it be nice if we told a story with our pose instead of just having everybody just posing? So then we decided that we were going to go fight Gilgamesh. And we were going to have... On Gilgamesh, on Gilgamesh, by the way. Yeah, on Gilgamesh. <laughs> and we were going to have the members of our static saving one of the other members in the static who had fallen in battle was going to be the story. And keep in mind, these people aren't role players, but we just decided to have a little fun and tell a story with it to try and make the picture a bit more dynamic. So we spent maybe three hours trying to pull Gilgamesh to the right spot, wiping over and over, trying to figure out like where everybody was going to stand because we basically changed up how everybody was going to pose and who was going to be doing what. And so everybody doing Red Ranger pose turned into somebody lying on the ground, somebody kneeling... Some people doing Black Ranger poses. My character was panicking. It was, it took just so long. But thankfully, when those results came out, we found out that we had gotten one of the top 50 spots. We got spot number 10 on that list. So, wow. Yeah, it was, it was all worth it because at the end we were like, yeah, we'd better, we really hope that we ended up winning something or other because it just took so long to try and get that shot. And so, yeah, we, we ended up winning. I think everybody except for one person decided to get the Noble Barding. And I think he's somewhat regretting that he didn't get the Noble Barding because now everybody in the static has the Noble Barding except Aww. for him. <laughs> Aww. Poor Merle. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it was a whole lot of fun to do, even if it took 
three hours after raid. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the stuff we do. Just like, you know, videos of Scoot dancing. Yeah. Or, you know, running Hullbreaker hard mode as Mistbeard. Sometimes you just got to do things for fun. Just lots of shenanigans. <laughs> yep. What about you? What was your story? Oh, boy. So I've been pretty busy in real life, so I actually haven't been playing as much as before. I also think that I'm catching a little bit of, like, the pre-patch blues. Like, this week, like, I'm going to run Expert, and I'm like, do I really need to run Expert? I'm going to get lore, like, almost for free next week. They'll be giving away, like, candy. Like, why do I need to grind for lore? Yeah. No, I stopped <laughs> grinding for lore ages ago because I just got all the gear that I wanted. And I was like, okay, now what? <laughs> I've still got more jobs to fully gear up to 240, but in order to fill the time, I have really been trying to get into more RP in the game, specifically RP with, instead of one of my RP alts like Merlweb and uh, my character Ruhi on Balmung, I want to RP with my main. Mm -hmm. As you know, Natsuki McCatboy. I even came up with an in-character excuse as to how he got the name McCatboy. <laughs> that makes sense, dang it. And what was that? <laughs> so something I, I saw people doing on Tumblr with their characters' names, if the names that they chose were actually not lore-compliant, like they didn't match the character's race and clan, the excuse was that basically this was a name that the character adopted as an adventurer, because when you're an adventurer, you need a really cool-sounding name, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, that's cool. So I, I made up um, a quote-unquote real name for him that would fit the McCready Keeper of the Moon, but decided that he chose the name Natsuki McCatboy, actually partially because he was, in his younger years, the Eorzean equivalent of a weeb. <laughs> you know, he became fascinated with the Doman language, quote-unquote, mm -hmm. which, as we all know, is uh, analogous to Japan. Yeah, very, very <laughs> japanese -inspired. Yeah, Natsuki being... Uh, a Japanese name, and McCatboy just being a silly thing because he couldn't think of anything better. <laughs> and then he decided when he was older, you know, this is kind of silly. Maybe I could change it, but this is my reputation now. This is my uh, adventurer name, sort of like my brand. So I can't change it. I just sort of stick with it and uh, have a good humor about how silly I was in my younger days. <laughs> so I actually joined up with a link shawl called Roleplay Gilgamesh, and they've also got a Discord server. And... Did my first round of RP the other day, in character, mm -hmm. in the Carlin Canopy, having some drinks with some new friends. Um, Natsuki is a character that's extremely friendly and loves to meet new people, which is funny because it's way different from me, so it's almost like a way to practice <laughs> being extremely friendly. So I'm looking forward to just doing more of that and getting more into that character, into that in-game in experience, because I love doing stuff on Tumblr, but I realize that... My Tumblr style RP is more like writing novels. <laughs> I enjoy writing novels. It's like it's creative. <laughs> I oh, I absolutely do. I even I even write fanfic. I love that stuff. It's really time consuming, and I feel like if that's all that I have, that and then I get really busy in life and I don't have the focus to write, then I won't do RP at all. So I guess I was looking for something that was a bit more casual mm -hmm. as well. And speaking of link shells, we've also got our own link shell up on Gilgamesh, the Musecast RP channel. So any of you listeners who are on the server who might want to RP or chat out of character with us, your hosts, or your fellow listeners, hit us up, send a tell to Scoot Batoot or Natsuki McCatboy, with an apostrophe, after the Mick. And we'll add you. Yep. 
Very cool. Well, congrats on your first in-game roleplay experience on Natsuki. Thank you. And this, I believe, concludes today's episode of MuseCast 14. Please be sure to follow us on all of our different social media outlets. Or just one, you know. Or one. <laughs> Even just... Well, all of them is nice, but I guess if you want to do one, that's all right, too. <laughs> yeah, we've got Twitter, we've got Facebook, <laughs> we've got Tumblr. Yep, and you can listen to us if you aren't already, in which case, how are you listening to us? But you can listen to us know. on uh, iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play. Uh-huh. And we also have a Patreon where if you support us, among other things, you can get access to our content early and get some bonus content, just things we wanted to talk about but couldn't get to within the episode. There's a ton of it. Yeah. We're keeping a running list of, of pieces of bonus content that we want to record, and all we're waiting for is to have enough Patreon subscribers to release it. That's true. And we do have a PayPal as well. Yes. Yeah. Oh, actually, I'm realizing now, we have not given our usernames as usual for all the different social media. So, on our website, we do have one. It's on Tumblr. <laughs> it is musecastxiv.com. And our usernames are pretty consistent across like all different social media. So, if you want to find us, for example, on Twitter, we are at musecastxiv. You can look up musecast14, same spelling, on Facebook, things like that. We are really, really easy to find. Yes, we do also have a PayPal in case you just want to send us a one-time donation, you know, the online equivalent of buying us a drink, a non-alcoholic drink in Emmy's case. <laughs> <laughs> but don't forget, FanFest is still coming up very, very soon. And you can meet us and there. You can meet us there. And in case you want to represent your love for RP, we are selling t-shirts. That's true. Slash bags, slash hoodies, slash anything you want to buy. We will be emblazoned with the design, Roleplay is my true endgame. Now, if that's true for you, <laughs> go ahead and find us on Red, Redbubble, also Musecast XIV. And you can find them also on any of our social media. We're recycling them regularly. If you can't find them, send us a message. Say, I want to buy a t-shirt. Where can I go? And we'll tell you. Yeah. And if we see you at FanFest, we'll be give you a big hug. <laughs> and I think we have stickers, don't we? Yes, even if you don't buy a t-shirt, if you come up to us at FanFest, because we'll have the t-shirts on, and tell us how much you lo love the show, we'll give you a sticker with the same design. Absolutely free. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Yeah, I'm still super, super excited. Yeah, it's coming up To be going soon. to FanFest soon. Oh, man. Yep. And again, we want to take the opportunity while we're there to talk to role players, maybe do a couple of short interviews compile content so that we can do a really awesome fan fest special and just to be a little bit of a tease mm -hmm. we are lining up some very special interviews as well this is with true. notable people in the community who you have definitely heard of are we able i want to i want or i want to tease i want to keep them waiting oh man hmm. i'm so excited i wish i could tell them <laughs> but i will keep it a secret for soon. now soon soon very soon <laughs> you will know <laughs> Well, thank you again for listening, adventurers. See you out there. See you next time.